And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Hope and Chris finish the last episode of Star Wars The Clone Wars. Luckily, dependable Dave Filoni and crew create Rebels with new characters, new places, and new adventures. Thus, keeping hope alive for this podcast. Welcome to J-Guys and Jedi. Hi everyone, welcome to a brand new episode of J-Guys and Jedi, a weekly podcast covering every episode of Star Wars Rebels. In this episode, our heroes seek seeing out. Oh, I forgot I wrote this because it was different from the Wikipedia. Um, our heroes seeking out to destroy an Imperial satellite listening post disc thing. Sagrera arrives to complicate things. This is why I don't write those. I usually just copy and paste from Wikipedia. There will be dish surfing. Long Nekma mouths off at Saul Guerrera, and Hera's having some doubts for, like, the first time ever. We're sawing this up to this two-parter and a half because we're talking about Name of the Rebellion Part 1 this week. I saved your joke from last week. Hi, I, I know, I wrote it over on the side to make sure I didn't forget, too. We're sawing the two-parter in half. You even put it in red letters. To... I did, because I went... Well, if it was in black, I would just kind of fall into the habit of just doing what I normally do. So I have to put it in a different color so I know it's a different thing to read. Mm. So, mm. how you doing, Chris? Good. You having a good week so far? So far, they're all bleeding into... <laughs> each other. sort of bleeding into another. I know. Uh, I don't know if it's going to be out... By the time we do this episode comes out, but I will say keep an eye out on the podcast send in, send in the clones. Me and Chris recorded yesterday with Bucho and Robbie to do a season seven Clone Wars recap with on their show. Um, I don't know, like I said, when it's coming out for them, so it might already be out by now. So check out send in, send in with the clones send in the clones with Bucho and Robbie because we were just guests on their show. So hi guys, it was so much fun. <laughs> yeah, they're always fine. I like those guys. I like those guys, too. They're really sweet guys. And it's just a really nice show. And they were all like, yeah, I think we're done podcasting. We're not really podcasters. And we were like, oh, you don't even know. <laughs> <laughs> you say that, but you're lying. I'm having... I've heard that story before. Yeah, I, I said that like when I was like graduating college and 10 years later, I'm still doing this. <laughs> And now I have a like an entire like Patreon and stuff about it too. So, <laughs> by the way, speaking of Patreon, we have a show over there called Hope Makes Chris Watch Cartoons. And Gene, I know you're listening. We've been talking about you on that show. Yeah, a little bit. A little bit, Gene. I know you're listening, so we might be talking about you too. Gene, I'll totally send you an episode. <laughs> don't send him the episode with him on it though <laughs> i'll send you a test episode gene see what you think oh <laughs> uh, yeah i've been doing pretty good i had a good day today i wrote the outlines for this and then i got did a little gravity falls work for us recording tomorrow and then uh, i i watched some youtube i've had a really kind of 
productive slash chill day. Had delicious sloppy joes for dinner. So mm, okay. I love sloppy joes. Yeah, yeah. What'd you do today? Um, <laughs> worked on podcasts. <laughs> Your life. Yeah, uh, cooked up a pizza. And that's about it. Yeah. But do you enjoy it? That's the important thing. Well, yeah, yeah. I wouldn't be doing it if I didn't enjoy it. Very good. I got a, I got a, I got a somewhat day off tomorrow. Yeah, pretty much all you have to do is like what, what, watch an episode watch, of Gravity watch Falls. Watch a cartoon. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so. so, well, you ready to get into this episode? I am ready. In general, what'd you think about it? It was good. Yeah. It was was good. I have a a few little, like, weird notes of, like, I was just picking up some weird little details here and there on this episode. I liked it, too. Actually, like, the majority of my notes are, this is rare, because usually this doesn't happen, but the majority of my notes are in Act 1, because that's where all the meaty stuff is. Me, too. Yeah. Uh, No, my my Act 1 notes, I probably have three times as much Act notes, I, I, I... yeah, my Act 1 notes are probably, like, more than my Act 2 and 3 notes combined. It also didn't help that Act 1, until the very first screen swipe where it goes to dark, like, where a commercial break is, was 10 minutes long. It was long. pretty long, yeah. It, it was, was almost half the show. It was first act. I, act 3 is only, like, 6 minutes, while Act 1 was 10, which is not the norm. So, all right, well, you ready to get into this? I am. Wet my whistle. Burp. Uh, All right. Here we go. In the Name of the Rebellion Part 1 is the 62nd episode of Star Wars Rebels. And it was released on October 23rd, 2017. And it was released, just to keep in mind, uh, this season, all the episodes were released together in twos. So every two episodes are going to have the same release dates. Part 1 was written by Gary Whitta and directed by Sergio Pais. Some extra information for you. Adrio Two Tubes is voiced by David Accord, who also voiced him in Rogue One. He's also voiced numerous droids and creatures in Clone Wars and Rebels, including the warhead droid that Zeb fought last season. Saul Guerrero has undergone another character model change to now more closely resemble his final look in Rogue One. Mon Mothma's fiery question to Saul Guerrero, what will we become, is a cut line from earlier drafts from Rogue One. In the drafts, Saul asked Jen Erso the same question, and you can actually hear Saul speak this line in some of the Rogue One trailers. This episode marks the series debut of the U-Wing from Rogue One. In earlier versions of the scripts, Saul's pilot was going to be a brand new character named Lork. Lock, Lark. L-O-R-C. Lork. That's not how English works. Um, Huh? Yikes, I said. Who was designed to be a Clatoonian. They decided to keep it closer to Rogue One and brought back uh, Erdrio Two-Tubes. I just call them Two-Tubes because I don't know how to say Erdrio. And finally, the Rebels Recon for this week was uh, covered both episodes, so I will talk about Rebels Recon in next week's episode. You know who else is in the covers of the episode? I don't know. Hi, Yoda. <laughs> what? Mm. I don't know. Oh. Segways are hard sometimes. <laughs> How you doing, Yoda? Oh, not bad. Not bad. Have a good week. 
Uh, so-so. I mean, I know it's always warm on Dagobah, but it, now that it's moving towards summer, is it getting even hotter? Oh, sweaty. Mmm. Mmm. Drippy. We've gone from moist to drippy. Mm. <laughs> from from uncomfortable to sopping wet. Sweltery. Ooh. Well, I have a fan question for you, Yoda. Oh, okay. And I'm going to give you two options on how to answer this question. Um, this question comes from Mr. Ooh, yeah, Paul C. Kelly. And the question is, out of the nine episodes of Star Wars, what is your favorite piece of music following the intro crawl? I'm also going to give you a, a side question if you want to do this one instead. What is your favorite piece of Star Wars music? Mm. Mm. <laughs> well, Yoda's theme. Mm. Yes. Mm. And favorite out of crawl? Empire Strikes Back. You know why? Why? Yoda's coming. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I would have thought you would have said Size Noodle's little song. Nah. You, I, nah. I thought she likes it. She has those long lips to kiss you. She can just kind of like... I need to like clip that little piece and use that as my phone, my phone ringtone. <laughs> Actually, it kind of sounds like. Kind of sings like sounds like Kermit singing Star Wars. I just had the worst image. Yaddle is the worst. <gasps> I'm just waiting to see how long you go for. <laughs> just sings forever. The Yaddle is the worst song. Yeah. Didn't know it had words. <laughs> I didn't know either. A lot of those. A lot of those. A lot of those scenes have lyrics to them, so that somebody else can get paid. You know. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man. Well, bye, Yoda. There he goes. There he goes. <clears throat> well, are you ready to get into this act? I am ready for act one. The big act. The big the act. The, act. The fucking ten minute long act. <laughs> <laughs> act one. Our heroes, fresh off the Mandalore stuff from last week, are about to land on Yavin 4 to join up with the proper rebellion. They land, and there's Zeb, I love him, waiting for them. Sabine hurries off to greet him, and Zeb is overjoyed to see everyone together. Kanan is wondering where Hera is, and Space Mom is off on a supply run. Zeb starts to show them around. He is like, here's a pyramid, that is a pyramid, that's a ship, that's a man. Welcome home. <laughs> There's ships and people from all over the galaxy on Yavin, all ready to fight the Empire. But suddenly, alarms go off, and Grunkle Rex runs out to them. He's not there to say hello. He's there because what's left of Hera's squadron is coming in hot. Literally. Their, ship is on, their ships are smoking and about to crash land. But that's nothing that Space Mob can't handle. 
Hera is walking her pilots through it. She's giving them safety commands. She's handling her own ship as well. Space Mom is amazing. They all land safely, and she's surprised to see Chopper roll up to her. Wedge and the rest of her pilots make sure she's okay, and Wedge blames himself. But Hera is firm that this isn't their fault. They had bad intel, but they're also alive to fight another day. She's a proud space mom to all of them and sends them off to get some rest. Then she hears her husband's voice. Hera turns and magical music plays. A little sparkly flower shows up because there's Kanan and her space family. And Hera is overjoyed that they're all together again. But they don't have time to get too mushy because Alexander Kellis shows up to greet them. Like, hi boyfriend's family. Good to see you guys. I'm a rebel now, guys. Look at my look at my 70s haircut and my cool jacket. Zeb, you like my jacket? And Zeb's like, that's a really nice jacket. I prefer it on my floor. And Callus is like, I know. But anyway, Mon Mothma wants to see you all. None of that was written. <laughs> I did not write a single piece of that, except for the high boyfriend's family. <laughs> anyway, and he ends up take hands, and they all head inside to talk to the rebel leaders. And there is Long Nekma, Padme's baby daddy, Bel Organa, and General Dodonna, who really needs a nickname, are all waiting for them. The space family with Rex and Callus gather around. Lately, their missions have sucked, and they've been going worse, and it turns out the Empire has a new listening base in a nearby system. The Rebels were aware that this might have been the case, but they didn't want to believe it because it all came from Saw Gerrera. And everyone here is part of Team You Can't Sit With Us, Saw! That's a Mean Girls joke. Anyway, they're all like, how does Saw keep getting this information? And it's Callus that explains that Saul doesn't care about the collateral damage and who he hurts to get results. Friendly reminder from Season 2 that Saul's men murdered everyone in Callus's first platoon and Callus had to watch. Ezra wonders why they don't use Saul more, but the rebel leaders are against Saul's methods. Either way, there's something that needs to be done about this listening relay dish thinking post outpost thing. Callus comes up with a plan that they could tap into it and listen in on Imperial transmissions. Then, the Rebels can adjust their movements around the Empire. Hera volunteers the Space Family for the mission, and the meeting is adjourned. But Ezra is like, What the hell? I came here to talk about my planet. Lothal needs help. Like, come on, guys! And Long Nekma pulls Ezra aside to teach him something about a rebellion. They have to pick and choose their battles carefully. They can't use all their resources on just one planet because thousands are in need of their help. Plus, Thrawn dealt them a huge blow in Zero Hour, and the Rebel leaders realize they're not quite yet ready for open warfare. The Rebels have to be careful about how they fight. Ezra understands and heads out of there. But he's pretty bummed out by the whole thing. He sees Kanan meditating outside and comes to join him. He admits to his space dad that he's full of teenage angst and doesn't know what to do about Lothal. Kanan tells him to sit and connect with the Force. But Ezra can't concentrate because of his teenage angst! And he's all hung up about Saul. And Ezra turns to Kanan and goes, I know it's about how we choose to fight, but I kinda wanna be metal like Saul Guerrera and just fucking wreck things, Dad. And as if on cue, a droid rolls outside, and Saul, and Saul Skype calls into the Yavin base. And he's a big old hollow projection like the freaking Wizard of Oz. 
Saul taps on the microphone and goes, What's up, rebel bitches? Look, y'all, your rebel leaders suck and you're not getting anywhere. Come join me in the way that rocks. Where we're actually doing stuff that matters. Well, Mon Magma kicks down the door and goes, What the hell, Guerrera? This is my base, you asshole. What do you want? And Saul and Mon Magma exchange some back and forths. Saul thinks Nekma is moving too slow and not doing enough. Mon Mothma pretty much calls him a terrorist for killing innocent people and prisoners. Saul points out that the Empire sees them both as criminals, but at least he acts like one. It's a lot of back and forth. And Mon Mothma finally has heard enough and hangs up on him. But then there's Ezra looking on like he's having some thoughts with his teenage angst. What'd you think of Act 1? Ah, I liked it. <laughs> I, uh, it's, it's weird. I, after watching the second and third act, like the animation in the first act was a little hinky, like the character animation. Huh, maybe because there's so <laughs> many characters. It, it, it was almost like in the first act, maybe they had to retool it and couldn't like, like polish it up as much because the second and third acts were just vi- like, visually more polished like everything was smoother and the backgrounds were a lot more although there was one beautiful ralph mcquarrie shot of of the temple on uh yavin i could probably see that that because there's so many like characters and like ships and everything because everything is they always they constantly talk about their processors and how their processors handle scenes so they probably had to tone down a couple things here and there just so they could handle the the scene where the scene especially where they, they get at the beginning where they land and get off the, the ship and they're just walking down through the base past all the ships is is a little bit... It, it looks like it's back a couple seasons, you know? Oh, but, that's uh, interesting. I didn't notice that. And uh, Callus is getting kind of bossy right off the bat and making himself right at home, and he's hanging out at the highest levels, too. It's kind of... Uh, I don't know about that. I have so three soon. whole Callus <laughs> Okay, well, we'll we'll get to that. Um, But, man, Sagarera is just like, he's like the edgelord rebel. And and more people have to do, he's such an asshole, but but more people have to do that, like, giant holo. That's like a total power dick move. I know, I love it. Just like a giant head and yell at people. It really uh, is the Wizard of Oz, and it's so good. (laughs) in, In the end, though, in the end, though, I think he's right. And I don't think he's, I don't think he even is trying to persuade Long Nekma to do awful things like him, but he's, you know, he's trying to rile her up because when she yells at him, he's like, there you go. Well, don't yell at me. Go, you know, yell at the empire. But he's absolutely right, though. She's trying to, she still thinks she's going to, like, maybe somebody will pass a law or maybe some she could get somebody to vote out Palpatine or something. You know, I think they're both right in different ways because I, I think she, I, I think with, especially with Zero Hour pretty much decimating Phoenix Squadron because we know the first time the Rebels make their first big open warfare is Rogue One. So some some of it is timeline, like they're they're in the timeline constraints, they can't openly fight. But I, I like her point to Ezra. I mean, if they just openly fought, they would just burn through men and resources so fast that they have to be careful because they have a much smaller army and they have to pick and choose. So I don't think she, I I think that she is being more careful, which is where a lot of 
Ezra's frustrations are, and, and he's right to be frustrated because he wants to save LaFall. But at the same time, like, she also has a point of, like, there's thousands of worlds. If we put everything into Lothal, what about them? Which is a very good point because she has to, they have to be careful because they, it's like a hundred men versus a million with the empire and they have to be careful with their 100 men. Yeah. Yeah. But also like, Saul, Saul, that's what makes Saul such a compelling character. Like one, actually, and let me go ahead and go straight to one of my notes. Um, Way back when we were doing the Saw Gerrera arc in Clone Wars, we were talking about the difference between rebellion and terrorism. And this is kind of like the part two of that, because Saul is willing to fight and do whatever it takes, including killing citizens and, and as we know with Callus, just like murdering even troops who are injured, who are prisoners. And it comes down to instant gratification versus slow methodical fighting. And Mon Mothma is in the slow, methodical fighting because she understands that... She, I mean, she lived through the Clone Wars. She understands that, you know, she knows how to be a leader during the Clone Wars because that was her role. And that was part of what she was doing is the political side of things, which can be frustrating, as we saw in Clone Wars and during the entire prequel era, that the politics of war are very, very frustrating. Well, I would, she, also, I would also uh, posit to that that her... her she did... Uh, anybody who, you know, uh, I I will accept like Rex and Ahsoka and Anakin. Anybody who is battling in the battlefield, as earning their like stripes in the the Clone Wars. But like if she learned, well, nah, I I guess well, I'm 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 already subverting my own point in my head. But I was gonna say if if you know the the Clone Wars was a sham. Clone Wars was a sham, man. It was fake, fake yeah. war, man. And and and, and and like and if she was in the you know she was probably some sort of tool and some everybody was some sort of tool during the Clone Wars except for Palpatine and, yeah. uh, and but at the same mind. time it depends on what she did what she learned out of the Clone Wars you know what lessons she took from it I I just take her as being someone who hasn't fully realized you know she hasn't fully accepted her that you know that 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 there is a, a, a split, you know, she's, she's hoping that, that, that like she can fix it before she has to be. But at the same time, she's also thinking if there's going to be a rebellion in the long term, she's probably going to be in the government of it. So she's yeah. already sort and, of assuming that role. And also keep in mind that this is probably a, lo a learning curve for her because during the clone wars, she was on the side that had all the resources. The Republic right. had men and planets and people and fighting and gunships and blasters and Jedi. Yeah, she was the bad guys. And <laughs> no, that's not what I'm saying. Um, what I'm saying is yeah, she, she was from the side that had all the resources. And now she's on the side that has no resources, barely any men. And they are, they are on the smaller side. So this is probably very much a learning curve for her, too, because she's like, OK, well, how do I do this when I go from having everything to nothing? How can I still be part of this? Which which makes me really uh, like as, as frustrating as it is for everybody in the show. I like that she's taking this role because she understands that they have pretty much nothing. So they have to be careful and slow and think this through, which can be frustrating for the characters. But as an audience member, like I absolutely sees her see why, why she's doing this. But then you have, like, Saul here doing these, like, instant gratification things. It's, like, the difference between, like, fast-burning wood versus a slow-burning log. 
And the fast burning wood is like flashy and it does things and it gets that it gives you heat and fire, but it's gone so fast. And it's kind of like the whole point about the whole destroying the satellite dish. They can destroy it, but the Empire's just going to build another one. So why not use it for a different purpose that will help them in the longer run, even though it's not gonna hurt the empire it's, it's all such a complicated and very right and at the same time but at the same time you know i think sagra has more credence just because at the same time they don't agree with sagra's method but they're gonna take his intel they're you know they're gonna take it when he does do something and that's his point his point is like okay well you know i got this done for you and now you're telling me, you know, I'm bad for doing it, you know, but you want, but you want this information, right? You know, so it's, yeah, yeah. it's, you, you get dirty. It, there's no way you're getting, you're going to war without getting dirty, you know? And that's, that's why we like characters. That That's why we find characters like Cassian Andor so fascinating. His opening scene of Rogue One, he murders a guy, but he's a hero, <laughs> Right, but if you know? if he didn't murder that guy, if he didn't murder that guy, they probably wouldn't have blown up the Death Star. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like so that's, that's what makes the Rogue One characters so fascinating because Saul Guerrera is a terrorist, but like, and we see the Rebel leaders like none of them were like happy that Saul was right. They didn't want Saul to be right because it. And it all comes down to the whole how we choose to fight. Do we fight like the Empire, which is what Saul's doing, or do we hold on to our morals, which is the whole point of this episode and the next one is how we choose to fight, which goes back to what Yoda told Ezra. It's not about fighting. It's about how you choose to fight. It's all very fascinating because I, I just remember this debate from when we covered the Saul Guerrero arc in Clone Wars about rebellion versus terrorism and yeah. how it's it's a very fine line. That That's the point we came to. It's a very fine line because the Separatists were calling the rebels terrorists, but the rebels, of course, were the heroes. And it's that that's why I like that's one of the reasons why I like Rogue One so much and like why I love characters like Cassian. It's just this morally gray area of. They're willing to do what needs to be done, but at what cost? Because because Saul's men is the reason why why Callus doubled down on Lasan. Doesn't make it make it okay that Callus doubled down on Lasan, but it was that extra motive of one of Saul's men who was a Lasat murdered my friends at the time, so I had this extra anger. And we see like th- these terroristic acts have these ripple effects. And what if that hadn't happened to Callus? Would he would have stopped at Lasan and been like, this is wrong then? But no, it was because of Saul's actions of Saul and his men, which is why he doubled down. Because those kind of things like embed anger. And that's the whole point of terrorism. It embeds this extra anger in people and skews your view of things and makes you just have a very visceral reaction. As we saw in Mon Mothma, like when she blows up at Saul, it's because of a very visceral reaction that Saul pulls out of her and it's 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 that's I mean it's it's so beautifully complicated and I love it <laughs> well that's all I got for part one. Oh, really yeah. <laughs> you were like I have three times the notes um <laughs> uh, well my first note is, I'm just gonna go straight down um my first note is it's just really cool to see Yavin 4 and Rebels and how our team integrates with the Rebels as a whole. I, I just like the design of Yavin 4 and Rebels. 
Um, it's really nice moment to see all the space family together again, because with Sabine gone for the last half of season three, especially, um, and even with the finale, when they were all together, she left. And the more I started thinking about it, they spent a lot of season three separated on different missions. Like two of them would be gone or Zeb would be on the base by himself, or like it'd be Hera and Ezra on a mission or like Kanan and Sabina on a mission. So they actually spent so much of season three separated. It's just really nice to have the space family all together again as a unit. Yeah. I, my next note. Okay. Here's my three part Callus note. Um, I like Rebel Callus and his fancy new outfit. <laughs> and I actually like, like his, I'm not a big fan of the design of his new hair, but I like it because it feels very 70s. Like he had his style of how they've like styled his hair and his beard and his outfit. He looks like he could fit into the original trilogy. That's because the barber who was at the rebel base at that time had a very 70s style. That explains that whole Star Wars time yeah. period. He was the only barber in the rebellion and he cut everybody in 70s style. That's why there's different looks for different eras of Star Wars. Yeah. Um, I've already kind of touched on this note, but... I like that it's callous that explains that Saul would do anything for information because it was a really nice callback to season two when he explained it to Zeb that Saul had a Lassalle mercenary who just murdered everybody, including injured people. And Callus had to watch it firsthand. So I, I like that moment that it's actually Callus who explains it because he is the ex-Imperial in the room. <laughs> and he's just like, yeah, it's that bad if me, the ex-Imperial, thinks that this guy is bad news. Um, and... I also just, I just like Callus and all of this. Like, I like that he's the one that comes up with the plan to tap into the Imperial Relay. Um, he's using his Imperial past and knowing how that technology works, and he's now using it in the Rebellion. And it, it's just a really good use of Callus, and I like watching him, like, getting integrated. Um, I still wish there was a bit more pushback against him. Like, maybe the leaders are still a little unsure about him. Um, because, you know, he is the ex-Imperial in the room. Well, that's but what I'm do- saying. Like, if, like... Like that, I would be suspicious of any kind of plan for tampering with it. You know, it's just like, uh, you know, like the ghost crew might be a little more sure of hit. Like, you know, they might have a better feeling about like his, his, you know, his, trusting him. But long neck, ma, oh, well, you know, well, but then again, he was a fulcrum, but. That's that's my follow up right there, because but remember he, when we did the honorable ones and I was very against how they redeemed Callus, but that was kind of the whole point of us going through season three, uh, the second half of season two into season three was I kind of gone back on what I said in that episode. I think now as we've been like fine tooth combing through season three and we really tore into Callus's character over the course of season three, I think he's earned it. Uh, I think he's earned his place here because being the fulcrum agent, like he put his life on the line every single day for these people. And working close enough to Thrawn and Palpatine that like it could like no matter how trustworthy he is, it would just be a matter of security that like this guy could be playing a long game. You know, a double agent where they were like, look, you, 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 you be a mole for the rebels. We'll feed them information through you. And then eventually we'll let you escape and then you can feed us information that way and set up, you know, it's possible. But they doesn't seem probable. But in a situation like this, a high security, highest echelons of a very 
ragtag group of rebels, they're taking a lot of faith. But then again, Star Wars is all, a lot about take, about having faith in people, too, taking a leap of faith on people. So, yeah, I, I it, disagree it fits, with that. You know, I, but I, I would I would be I, I would I would have the I would have the uh, hairy eyeball on him if I was long neck. See, I, I disagree with that. I because he they could see physically what it did to him. Um, because they, and, and I think the ghost crew are in a position where they're in such high respect that if they vouch for him, then it's believable, especially coming from someone like Hera. If Hera's like, no, like he could have died at any moment for us. And he put his life on the line. And we saw that physically when he came over and he's beaten the shit as hashtag hot callus. Well, how many times have we seen the Jedi infiltrate something and impress people, you know, but he's not a Jedi. (laughs) No, but I'm saying, I'm saying you can like you have a you have a mission. There's I've I've seen good guys in in Rebels and in Clone Wars like have to pretend to be somebody else and then go in and like do something to impress the people they're with so that they trust them. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm not saying I'm saying like if if Callus was probably full, pulling funny business Ezra and Kanan would have figured it out through the force. You know, they would have they would have been able to suss out that he was, you know, this guy's hiding something or something. But even so, the the force, you know, w- makes more sense to Kanan and Ezra and the and the ghost crew cuz they're they're living around two Jedi. But I'm just saying in the in the the in the Mon Mothma General Dadana level of security and and stuff i would be and maybe they are you know maybe they are limiting some of the stuff and limiting them only to doing certain things i don't but he seems he seems mighty at home to me but you know tv show we gotta move things along you know and and we also don't know what happens off screen too like maybe they did put him through a trial period there's there's no there's no time for them to do episodes yeah of of Callus being the odd man out on the rebel base. And and you know, for in Dadana's case, it's it's not stated in show, but he is an ex-Imperial as well. Um he started off in the Empire early on and he eventually defected because he didn't agree with it either. So I mean he has that background as well. And we we have to keep in mind the Ahsoka factor, because Bail Organa's in the room as well, and Ahsoka works closely with Bail as Fulcrum. Um of course Ahsoka's not in the picture now, but there has to there was probably a time where Ahsoka was probably somewhat involved with, like, filtering out these fulcrum agents before she got, you know, Twilight of the Apprentice, yeah. past tense. So, I mean, I, I, I like to believe that, for one, the ghost crew vouching for him is plenty enough. And he earned his tribes, and there was probably, a, I, I do believe there was probably a small trial period that Callus has already proven his worth already, and and we see that like later on in the season, like Rex is still just like you don't get to sit in the seat of the ghost. Get up! You're not piloting the ghost. <laughs> so I, I I I think he's already gone through the trial, and I I really do like his use of how they use him here because he he should be the one that knows Imperial tech and goes, this is what we can do with it. Yeah, because so, he's the only one with a plan too. None of them, none of the other brilliant minds in the room are coming up with a plan. <laughs> So, um, I've already kind of talked about this note about how they choose to fight, so I'm going to skip that one. 
I also like the quiet moment with Kanan and Ezra. It's been a long, hot minute since we've had some Jedi meditation lesson time. That's true. I we was, don't I, really we don't really get much of any in this. You get like literally like six <coughs> pardon me, six seconds of like relaxing, I wanna say crickets, but you know, jungle wildlife you get about six seconds of just like ooh, that's nice and then all of a sudden Sagrera's like hey assholes yeah that's actually a really nice scene too because there's no music either it's just ambient yeah. jungle noises you're, you're experiencing what they're experiencing it's re- it's it's kind of nice it's very relaxing but yeah i was trying to remember the last time kanan and ezra had taken a moment just to sit t- down and do jedi meditation i think it was season two because I don't think they did it at all during season three. Yeah. I mean, I imagine they're doing it every day, but, like, not on, yeah, for not us on screen. Three. Yeah. Yeah, because the last time that I can think that Ezra actually knelt down to meditate was the season three opening, and it was with Maul. Because he was still fighting with Kanan during that. And then season three is just such a, like, battle after battle. I think the last time that Kanan and Ezra sat down on screen to do meditation was when they were with Ahsoka in the Lothal temple. I think that was the last time, and that was season two. <laughs> I can't think of a time since then, so it was a very nice moment um, to have, which brings me to my final note, just kind of putting all this together. I like this opening act because it feels like it's recentering the final season with Rebels. Because everyone was so separated in season three, and it was a constant fight, and there was very little like Jedi moments of just Ezra and Kanan, that it felt like they were recentering the show once more because we know that the whole Ghost crew is about to return to Lothal together as a group, and we know that this is some of the final moments of Kanan in about the next four to five episodes. So it's just kind of like bringing us back to where we were before everything got really crazy there for a while and the space family's back together the jedi are about to are back together doing jedi things and it, and they also reminded us of the importance of lothal because we're about to return to lothal so it was just nice like this entire opening act was kind of like bringing back the rebels and bring it, it was like bringing the family back together it was a family reunion and yeah it was a little regrouping yeah, and it, it was nice. It, it kind of brought us back to kind of the earlier seasons of Rebels when it was just the Ghost crew together as one doing their own thing before they ever joined the Rebellion. And it was it was really nice. It's a very well use of like kind of pulling everyone back together again. I agree. But that's all I have for Act 1. All right, Act 2. Act 2! I actually thought Act 1 would take longer, because I have, like, very little notes for the rest of the show. Act it's two. okay, we've had about six double-length shows in the last couple months, so... Oh, I'm not complaining. I was so happy that this outline only took me three hours. I was like, wow, I'm done, <laughs> right. and it's only, like, two in the afternoon. Wow! Right. <laughs> One that isn't 14 pages long for... For the, for first, the first time, time in like weeks. three weeks. <laughs> yeah. yeah, three or four weeks, yeah. Yeah, so. Act two. Our heroes are on their way to tap into the big imperial dish thingy, and they're whooshing through hyperspace. Hera and Kanan are briefing Ezra, Sabine, and Chopper about how they're going to jump off the back of the ghost, free fall through the air, and land on the dish with the help of jetpacks. You know, a normal Saturday afternoon for them. But Ezra is all like, whatever, mom, this isn't really gonna, like, 
hurt the Empire or anything. <laughs> Hera points out that if they just destroy it, the Empire will just build another one. So the rebels are so the rebels at least can use this one to their advantage. And Ezra is clearly not happy with this answer. But you know what? Hera's not happy with her own answer either. In private, she tells Kanan that she's also getting pretty pissed off with the politics of the rebellion. After losing her men on her last mission, all she wants to do is punch the Empire right in their mustache jaws. But Kanan reminds her that that's Saul talking, not Hera. But Space Wife isn't happy with that answer from her space husband. And they come out of hyperspace and it's time to start their mission. Luckily, Ezra and Sabine got tons of practice with jetpacks the last two episodes. They jump out of the back of the ghost with a chopper and free fall through the clouds. Zeb's watching their descent from the ghost and he's all worried, like the good weird uncle man he is. <laughs> the uncle man. <laughs> and Kanan says to trust the teenagers. At the is, last that a super, minute, is that a superhero or something? Uncle Man? Uncle Man. Probably some. I mean, DC has Condiment Man. I'm sure they've made Uncle Man at some point. It's probably it's like some alternate universe version of Uncle Ben from Spider-Man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm Uncle Man. Great, great uncles deserve great responsibility. <laughs> great. <laughs> at the last minute before they go splat on the dish, Ezra and Sabine hit their jetpacks. But they're still coming in really fast, and they hit the satellite. So they hit the satellite dish a bit hard. Chopper hits it really hard because he's a droid and he's much heavier than the two of them. And it's enough for an Imperial inside to pick up that something is wrong. But everyone is in one piece, and they start tapping into the system. But suddenly, an Imperial light cruiser appears out of nowhere and calls them to land. The kids hide from the line of sight of the cruiser and continue their work. But when Chopper accidentally receives a message from the cruiser, Ezra feels like fucking with the guy. He pretends to be Commander Brom Titus, the snooty Imperial who's shown up a few times here and there. The problem is, Brom Titus just so happens to be the person they're talking to. Out of the millions and billions of people in the galaxy, they happen to get the one person. <laughs> Knowing that the Empire will probably be onto them that they did something to the listening post, Sabine changes the plan and decides they need to blow the thing up. She gives Ezra some detonators to get to work, but as stormtroopers start coming after them, Sabine snarks at Ezra about how he's an idiot sometimes, because he just fucked up everything. What'd you think of Act 2? It was pretty good. Uh, I just I just love that his name sounds like bronchitis. Oh my god, it does. <laughs> Damn it! This is his last episode! Why didn't we come up with that sooner? It's Brom because Titus. it's. I didn't notice it till Ezra said it, and he said bronchitis, and I thought and I'm just like, oh my god, it's almost bronchitis. Damn it! <laughs> I'm gonna use that as much as I can before he dies. I have very few notes for this. There was a neat little detail when Chopper crashes, where just for a single sec, like a fraction of a second, a little tiny flat panel on the top of his head just sort of like bounces up and closes. And it was one of those, like, totally, like, they didn't need to put that in there. And 99% chance you're probably not going to catch it. I just, my eye just happened to be in the right place to catch it. But it's one of the, and, but the physics of it was so perfect. It just looked like a little tab that just sort of flapped open when, when he jostled. And it was just a great little, little added touch. 
Yeah, like, I, I missed that, but I can see it in my head now that you explained it. Like, yeah, you, I missed that. You know what would have helped a lot on this what? mission? Magnet boots. Oh, that would have been cool. Yeah. But that's all I got for Act 2, really. There's, there's not much to it. It's just It's just sort of like action, you know? Yeah. I'll get my two little notes out of the way. Um, I really love the free-falling scene, especially Chopper, because he's just spitting and bitching the whole way down. <laughs> but, like, they've done a couple free-falling scenes, but this is the first one, because, like, I think the last time they did it was in the call with the space whales, um, where they were falling through the atmosphere. But this one was different, because Chopper was just flipping over, head over heel in the in the air, and just griping. Like, my subtitles actually said, Chopper gripes. <laughs> like yeah he is and then when he lands it's so funny because he's so heavy that like they land and they're sliding down and then chopper just hits like a hurricane and just topples the whole way down (laughs) it's just a really cool scene as well um and that it's done there's so much tensity it's tensity it's so tense because you know there's zeb there too going oh my god they're falling too fast they're falling too fast and you can hear kind of the panic in sabine's voice of like ah we're at 800 meters 700 meters 500 meters <laughs> and it's and it was just it was the whole thing was just so good and i like that scene a lot um it's, it's just a little thing but after they get caught by the imperials and bronchitis looks through the binox and there's just ezra waving at them and sabine just slaps them in the arm it's such an ezra moment and such a sabine thing to do just to be like hi we're here you caught us and she's just like shut up ezra and then you can see that she's talking to him and you know exactly what she's saying of like don't wave at them ezra like you know what they're saying in that scene without hearing what they're saying because it's just so uncharacter for both of them and it's just a nice little scene all right, so my, for my two... Actually, while I'm still talking about Ezra, I'm going to go ahead and go to him before I go to my hair note. Ezra fucks up this mission. Plain and simple. Because he felt like fucking with the Imperials and playing around with them. Because the moment that they pick up the transmission, Sabine flat out tells Chopper to connect the ship to the listening post so they won't get caught and nobody will know that they're there. But it's Ezra who's just like, no, I have an idea. This is going to be funny. It's going to be really funny. Here we go. I'm Bronchitis. And Bronchitis is just like, um, I'm Bronchitis. Like, Ezra fucks up the mission. He's the reason they get caught. Oh, for sure. Mm. I mean, imagine I, if they... I wasn't, I wasn't 100% sure whether she told... Like, I was thinking there was a possibility she told Chopper to do that, and he wasn't able to do it, and that's why Ezra jumped in which would mean they probably would have figured him out you know Ezra just made them find out sooner but I think it wasn't that complicated I feel like if if Chopper couldn't have done it like he would have said something and she was like what do you mean you can't do it like and then Ezra like I feel like if if that was the case they would have put it into the show but yeah it came off as very of uh very much of Ezra just going this is gonna be funny guys yeah (laughs) Well, it didn't work for Han Solo. I don't know why it would work for Ezra. Although, technically, Ezra did it first now, and timeline-wise. Yeah. Um, And my other note is about Hera. So, this was a very interesting... In in particularly, the scene of Hera and Kanan talking in private. Um, Hera is always the rock, and she's always the voice of reason. And I think this is the first time we've really seen her 
doubt what she's doing and doubting the leadership of the rebellion because I, I don't think we've ever seen that before up to this point. And she flat out says that she wants to hurt the empire and she's doubting the politics of the rebellion and she's frustrated about how they're fighting to the point where she even agrees with Ezra. She's like, yeah, Ezra's right. This is stupid. Everything that we're doing right now is stupid. And that was really interesting because we've never really seen that side of Hera before. And it's well, very, it's much needed because like how many times when we do our season recaps do we say that Hera is the one that changes the least because she's always so strong that she doesn't need to change and so it's well, nice to see her have this doubt every everybody's been doing what they've been doing and all of a sudden now long now long Nekma's involved and she's like you know holding him back or making him feel like they're holding you know now they're taking orders from long Nekma and she's a politician you know mm-hmm. she's not a a uh gorilla leader you know and so all of a sudden all these gorillas are taking orders from a politician now and they have to you know there there's there's getting to be a a, more of a real chain of command rather than a loosely affiliated you know the ghost crew pretty much used to answer to themselves you know get a mission or something but you figure out how to do it and stuff and now it's now they're they're getting organized to where there's a chain of command and long neckma seems to get that response out of a lot of people so and that's a really good point um especially with the saw guerrero factor because Kanan flat out says you sound like Saul Guerrero right now, but we see in the opening of this episode that Hera lost some men and some of them died and she has to tell her men like it's not your fault, but she's clearly upset by this. Yep. And it's just it's so needed for Hera because she is so strong throughout the show that she needs these moments of doubt to where she's even doubting what they're fighting anymore. And in turn, it's a really nice scene for Kanan because now Kanan is stepping into the Hera role. Because usually it's Hera telling Kanan like, and helping him through his doubts. But it's it's just such a good dynamic for him because he can now be the Hera for Hera. Yeah. Um, well, also, it's just human to have doubts, too. I mean, if, oh, you're, yeah. gonna, if you're a decent human in a ward something you should you should be regularly having doubts about what what's going on or whatever you know just to keep you know to keep perspective so yeah because i i really like seeing kanan in that scene taking over the hair roll but and that's the and that's the it's not black and white too you know so it's like you know hera like you know hera has good reason to to think like that you know there's there's parts of what Sagar is saying that's right and parts of what Mon Mothma is saying is right and and it's that friction of those two parts of a rebellion coming together into a more organized you know functional unit now that's causing the the trouble you know yeah so I just I really really enjoyed that scene because it's just a side of hero we never get to see mm. but that's all I have for act two did you have anything else no, let's uh, put finish nice the bowls. first half of this puppy up. Yeah, you know, just put a nice bow on the puppy and like wrap well, it. Well, we're putting a bow. We're putting a bow about halfway across the puppy's midsection, right yeah, across the puppy's belly button. We'll wrap the puppy in a nice little blanket, but its little butt is still sticking out with its little tail wagging. So, what kind of puppy are you picturing? I'm picturing with like a dachshund da- for some reason because they're long and they're easy to divide up. Oh, oh Chris. <laughs> 
like some kind of cute little puppy, you know, like not very old, uh, black, a little black puppy with like big eyes, maybe like a little French bulldog, something with a long, like wiry tail that's, but it, it its whole butt wiggles. It doesn't wiggle just a tail. It wiggles its whole butt and maybe like it gets excited and pees a little bit, you know, just oh, cute. Little awesome. So, all right, act three. Act three. I like our puppy metaphor has evolved over the course of the show. Well, that's what puppies do. They grow and evolve. And so do podcasts. <laughs> Act three. Yes. Oh, no. The space kids have been caught and spotted by the real Bromchitis. I'm going to use Bromchitis as long as I can. And now, now stormtroopers are after them. Ezra holds off the stormtroopers, which I just realized Sabine gave him detonators, but now he's not using them because Sabine has all the detonators again. I don't know. Anyway, Sabine plants the detonators on the dish thingy. Chopper is still connected to the satellite dish and is now starting to make it move back and forth to keep the stormtroopers off balance and at bay. Hera is flying the ghost back to them as fast as she can, but Bromchitis has some brand new toys from Blue Husbando, and he launches the TIE Defenders after the ghost. Hera can't pick up the kids as long as the, def- the Defenders are around. She tells Ezra and Sabine to hang on tight and flies off. Ezra has Chopper really tilt the dish a lot, and they hang on as stormtroopers roll off and probably plummet to their deaths. Meanwhile, Hera is trying her best to escape the TIE Defenders, but Blue Husbando has quite a tricky ship. Zeb is shooting all the shit out of them, but the Defender's shields are holding up. So Kanan comes up with a crazy plan. He wants her to fly blind through the fog below them, and he will use the Force to guide her. And Hera's like, you're so lucky, I love you, because here we go! And she dives the ghost into the fog. And Kanan guides her around stone pillars until the ties eventually crash, and eventually crash, and Zeb shoots one of them enough to push them into a pillar. And now they're free to go get the kids. Meanwhile, in the middle of all this crazy happening, a random ship comes out of nowhere and starts shooting at Bromchitis' ship. Bromchitis makes some angry British noises about how he wants this new ship captured. And Ezra's like, whoever that is, they're my new favorite person. And the new ship lands, the door opens, and it's Saul Guerrera. And he's come with some fun proton bombs to help out. He throws the bombs onto the satellite dish while Ezra, Sabine, and Chopper fly onto the ship. Saul calls them to leave, and it's just Rogue, it's a Rogue One reunion tour because Two Tubes is flying the ship. Bromchitis tries to follow, but Saul's bombs go off and takes out the, both the dish and Titus's ship in the process. Bye, Bromchitis! You were a prick, and you've coughed here last time. Saul is all proud and going... That's the metal way of dealing with the Empire. Meanwhile, Hera's like, Oh my god! Are my kids dead? And she calls into them. And Ezra confirms that they're okay. And Saul's like, I got your babies, General Sindula. Is it cool if I kidnap them for another episode? And Hera's like, Wait, I'm sorry, what? Kidnap them? And Saul's like, No time! Oh no, there's a Star Destroyer that just arrived. I'm taking your children for another 22 minutes. Bye! And Hera's like, Guerrera! You asshole! Come back here with my children right now! But Saul zips right out of there, jumping to hyperspace with Ezra, Sabine, and Chopper on board to who knows where. And Space Mom is pissed. The end of part one. Part two, Netflix. 
like in the description of the story, they were saying that saw that saw messes up their mission, but he really yeah. doesn't. That's why I had to kind of rewrite it because if I try, I was like reading this and I was like, this doesn't happen in part one. This is all part two shit. Yeah. <laughs> um, I like his his rainbow bombs too. Yeah, we've seen uh, those before. Those are those are our favorite Sabines. <laughs> um, my only question on this, this is my only other note, is they've got those jetpacks on. Why don't they use them? When they're sliding all over the place, they could just slide down to the bottom and jetpack their way back up. Or, you know, they have this huge tactical advantage over the stormtroopers where they don't have to worry about what's going on with the ground. They can jetpack all around. You know, they can they can once once everybody knows they're there, they might as well. You know, I, I realized they were being stealth at first, but once. Once the cat's out of the bag, I would be using those Mandalorian jetpacks. I mean, everybody wants a goddamn Mandalorian jetpack because they're so useful. They they, they they did not use them at all. They were they were grab they were grabbing each other by the hand when one of them would go over the edge or something. And it's just like, why do you care if you're going over the edge? You're you're the kind of people that plummet through the air and then jetpack around, you know. That's a very valid point. I, I could see like Ezra being unsure about it, but we've already know that Sabine's really good with a jetpack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and and Ezra was getting the hang of it the last time he was using it. He was starting to get the hang of it. He got the hang of it enough that they sent him on this mission. So, yeah, <laughs> you got yeah, him on your back. I don't, I don't disagree. That's a valid point. Yeah. <laughs> That's all I got for part three. That was my only, uh... Maybe it's because of my first note. I don't think we've quite seen anything like this satellite dish fight before in Star Wars. No. It's really cool. Like, because, you know, they keep switching everything and everyone's sliding around and... It it, it reminds me a little of a a fight they had, like a um, gladiator fight they had in the Flash Gordon movie from the, the 80s on a, that was on a disc that was that was tilting and except it also had spikes that came out of it too yeah but uh it, re- it reminded me a little of that but yeah no we haven't seen anything in star wars like this yeah it's, it's really neat it's, it's a it's a cool dynamic because it's a single setting but it changes the battle so much and just it's it's, it's just really cool yeah you I, can change like you can change the terrain on it for your own advantage and stuff. Yeah, they it's totally Star Wars that that whole concept. Yeah, but again, like if they just shot Chopper, they would have lost. <laughs> Stormtroopers just need to shoot the droids because the droids are the MVPs of all. See, Star Wars. I, I I sometimes think people don't even see droids. You know, like a droid plugged in is just like to them like another piece of machinery. You know, they just <laughs> think oh the rebels and stuff. I I think droids are like I think that's droid superpowers is invisible because. They're just a piece of machinery amongst other pieces of machinery, and people just overlook them, I think. Yeah. It's a sad lot being a droid. Yeah. Anyway, uh, my next point is, um, I like the whole point of, like, the whole scene of Kanan flying for Hera, too, like, being her eyes. And it's just really, there's a really great shot of, like, where he's like, bank up now, and, like, she comes up and like out of the fog and does like a little turn and then dives back into it. It's just such a really cool yeah. action sequence. Well, at but, first he was saying stuff like, 
pull up, turn right, and then turn left. And I'm like, that's way not specific enough. But then after, then after I thought that, then he was saying stuff like, all right, go to point five and stuff. And I'm like, all right, that makes sense. You know, up and yeah. up and to the right and then a left could mean a lot. You could do a lot of different maneuvers with that, but yeah, either way but, it was cool. And it's also just a nice character moment for the two of them too. Cause it just shows their bond. Like I love that moment where she's just like, you're so lucky. I trust you. Here we go. <laughs> and the whole time Zeb is just like, I don't know. I don't like this. <laughs> But it's just it's it's, just, it's a really nice moment to show how much they do trust each other too because I'm not sure if that would work with everybody in Star Wars but they have such a strong right. bond that it works for Kanan and Hera so it's just it's all really nice. Um, and the only other note is this whole episode is just really nice setup for both Ezra and Sabine because the whole point of this of this episode is they're like oh wow Saul so cool he's so metal we're gonna get to blow stuff up and. I know it's been a hot minute since I've seen next week's episode, but I do remember a major plot point is them going, oh, Saul's not as cool as we think he is. Yeah, so, no, they, but they that's the thing is they sort of learned that he wasn't cool before, but I think they need a little reminder, basically. <laughs> it's kind of like Ezra every time he runs into Maul. He's just like, oh, you yeah. burned me. Let's go on an adventure. <laughs> yeah. Or Hondo. Or, or I was about to say, or Hondo too, because I think that was my exact note in the Wincanthu job, where I was like, he's learned this note from Hondo at least three times already. Yep. <laughs> Why is he still trusting Hondo? <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it, the entire episode is just such a nice setup for part two. Um, yeah, that's all I have. Did you have anything else? Yeah, I'm ready to score it up. All right, score the half-wrapped-up puppy. Um... I was going to give it a conditional score at first to see like how it how it ended up, you know, with both episodes, but they're episodic. It was episodic enough that I feel comfortable giving it its own score. So I'm giving it an 8.5. I liked it. It was a it was a good episode, good action. Not anything particularly deep, but it's it's nice to have it's like this one's sort of like world building into Rogue One, you know, when Rogue One was going, it was, it was timed into when the movie was coming out and stuff. So it is building the bigger world, but not with our characters as much, but like the action in it is fun and, uh, and interesting. So yeah, 8.5. I liked it. I liked it too. I, I actually slightly disagree. I think it's very deep and all the deep stuff is with the Mon Mothma versus Saul stuff because there's a lot of meat there and a lot of things to dive into. I think we could probably do an entire episode of just talking yeah. about the politics of the rebellion <laughs> because we didn't even throw the Bail Organa factor into all this that back in uh, Ghost of Geonosis, Bail was like, yeah, my buddy Saul, go find him. Because <laughs> we talked about that. We were like, well, what does Mon Mothma think of this? Because we know that Mon Mothma does not like Saul. Um, so, in to the me, end, like... In the end, if it wasn't for Saul Guerrero, none of, you know, he, he had his R2-D2 part. Yeah, so... But there were a lot of really cool things in this episode. I like seeing the politics of the rebellion and the pros and cons for it. And I love the Mon Mothma versus Saul stuff. I love seeing Ezra's conflict because we know he wants to help Lothal. But it's also just a nice recentering to old rebels. Like the space family is back together. We have these nice quiet Jedi moments with Ezra and Kanan. So it's really nice kind of like recentering ourselves again with the space family. 
And the satellite dish fight with Hera's dog fight with the Tide Defenders is just so good. It's such a unique battle that we haven't quite seen before. And it's a fun one all around. I gave it also I I gave it an eight out of ten. I was a little bit lower than you, but I gave it an eight out of ten. Hmm. It's so funny coming into season four because this is the season I've probably watched the least out of all four seasons. Um, and a lot of it is because, you know, there's so many two-parters and stuff like that. But I, I've watched several moments multiple times. Like, I've watched the finale of Theron and Ezra multiple times, and I've watched the epilogue a lot of times. But the season as a whole, I haven't watched the season very much. So I'm actually really excited to kind of dig into this because I'm like, I know roughly what happens in these Sagara episodes, but I don't really remember them. Like, like when I was looking at next week's episode, I was like, oh yeah, there is a Kyber crystal. <laughs> I forgot about that. That's yeah, a major yeah. plot point. So I'm really excited to kind of dig into season four because it's the season I've watched the least. And I honestly just don't remember. I remember the major points, but I don't remember the details. So I'm very excited to get into season four. <clears throat> Well, as always, we would love to hear your feedback on iTunes, Twitter, or on the Two True Freaks Facebook page. This week, our feedback comes from our Facebook page and from Twitter from two of our episodes, The Trial of the Darksaber and The Legacy of Mandalore. And I must say hello to the person who wrote us Trial of the Darksaber feedback. Uh, she is one of my patrons on Patreon. So, Yay. hi, Heather. Thanks thanks for listening to Hope Makes Chris Watch Cartoons. Yeah, I get to say hi, too, because I'm there, too. Uh. So. Uh, Hello. Uh, uh. Okay. Oh, geez. Looking over our uh, letters today, I'm not doing a single voice. You're doing my voice. Oh, yeah. You're right. You're right. You're right. Okay. Don't, so I'm still like, doing the voice. Don't forget my voice, Chris. God. Uh, no. Jeez. All right. So these are for Trials of the Dark Saber. The first one's from Spectre Eight. I'm so excited to hear this. This is my tie. I see tie, and I keep thinking tie fighter. This is my tie for favorite episode with Twilight of the Apprentice. Hmm. Interesting. I could see that. Like, mm-hmm. Hope says, make sure to let us know what you think when you finish it. Inspector 8 says, whoa, wasn't prepared for MLP spoilers. My little pony spoilers. And your, tone of, and your tone of voice, Hope. To be honest, I hadn't watched since the season break, since like end of season seven. It wasn't just hitting the same for me, but now I got to finish. Oh, she's talking My Little Pony. And yeah. Hope says, it finished really strong. It took me a while to mosey through the last couple seasons, but the final season was really solid. It really was. <laughs> All right. So now we're moving to Legacy of Mandalore. And we've got Mike Zumo writing in saying, thanks for your kind words regarding my Star Wars watch through with Haley. Yeah, that was fun watching that 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 i always like seeing what people's kids reactions are to the star wars movie it's like one of the actually it's one of the greatest joys of did i have i told you my nephew's reaction to clone wars no mike we'll come back to you in a second i'm sorry um so i called my sister gina and we were just talking and um my nephew amir has really gotten into clone wars but she told me she was like well, Amir suddenly stopped watching, and I don't know why. And it turns out Amir stopped watching during the Ahsoka Leaves arc because he thought Ahsoka left the show, and Ahsoka's his favorite character. And so I was like, Gina, tell Amir to come here right now. So she brought Amir over, and I was like, honey, just so you know, Ahsoka comes back, so don't worry about that. Just keep watching Clone Wars and then go watch Rebels. And Amir stops and goes, yes, my girlfriend is back! And I was like, oh, you call Ahsoka your girlfriend? I call Ahsoka my girlfriend. You're my nephew. We have to fight now. 
All no, right. I would never fight him. We can we can both have Ahsoka as our girlfriends. But it was just so cute because he was just like, my girlfriend is back. Yeah, I'll never, I never get, I'll never get there. I'll never say there's too many videos of people filming their kids watching the Darth Vader father reveal from Empire oh, Strikes sure. Back. I'll watch all of them. My my friend Rin is watching Star Wars for the first time. And he is just falling in love with Anakin. He actually texted me while we were recording. Cal, Cal's his boyfriend. Uh, told me, Cal told me at the end of the Return of the Jedi, instead of Vader, they edited it in Anakin from the prequels. And I don't know if my heart can handle this because I love Anakin so much. I am so happy and sad. <laughs> so it's always fun when people are watching Clone War, like watching Star Wars for the first time and they get to experience it. So. All right. So Mike Zuma says, thanks for your kind right, words regarding my Star Wars watch through with Haley. We're through the original trilogy now, and I forgot to put in my Return of the Jedi post. Was that after seeing um, the Return of the Sith or the Revenge of the Sith, and knowing the Emperor? No, no, comes, it's uh, the Rise of Skywalker. Oh, the Rise of Skywalker, and knowing the Emperor comes back, she looked at me and said, "Wait, how is he alive if he dies here?" I really didn't have an answer. I just said the Force. <laughs> That's Tross in a summary. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't fucking know. Just the Force. Candy. Oh, wow. we have so much candy. All right, which one are we doing? Uh, I picked last week. You choose. All right, I'm getting adventure. I'm going purple sweet potato today. I picked that one up, too. Well, if you don't know, Chris hates American Kit Kats because he's weird. So Chris is co-podcaster from Eat It and Beat It, which is our good friend Dario Gonzalez. And if I wasn't so weird, you wouldn't be eating all these Kit Kats, Hope. Just remember that. I am not complaining. <laughs> So Dario sends us candy from all over the world for it to review, and he sent us a bunch of Kit Kats from t- Japan, and this week we're doing the Purple Sweet Potato Kit Kat. I'm very excited about this. They're like, they're like a grayish purple color. Oh, they're so pretty. They smell really good. Mm, oh god, the aftertaste. It has, you get it in the aftertaste? Is that like, I was oh, going to say, like- I don't taste sweet potato yet, but... You taste it in the aftertaste. Oh yeah, you do. Oh my god. I know, right? When you Whoa, first bite that's in, weird. When you first bite into it, it's like this is chocolate, and the more you it's chew it, you're like, it's just a, like a, a slightly fruity Kit Kat. But then, then like after you chew it a while and you exhale, it's like potato. Yeah. Oh man. That is so weird. It's so good. Oh my god. Oh man. Mmm. I was kind of dreading this one, but this is fantastic. This is like a new flavor combination. Mm-mm. I don't want it to end. I've eaten one of these already because I had two, so I ate one of this like these like six months ago. Oh, man, I've been looking forward to eating these again. <laughs> mm. I already ate all my extras, so I'm just I was just like, oh, you did relive this experience once more. Mm. Thank you, Dario. So we love you. Please stay safe, Dario. Be careful. Well, that's all I have. Did you have anything else? No. All right. Where can people find you, Chris? You can find me at 2TrueFreaks.com. That's our website. And that has all of our podcasts there. Um, By the time you hear this, we should still be in our 2TrueFreaks comics draft, a daily podcast with 10 podcasting and related um, 
Luminaries picking their dream Justice League. It's drama. Drama! Drama! They Everyone should getting, read Saga. People are getting very dramatic about it and tuning, turning in their submissions and their, their singing and their... They're doing all sorts of stuff. It's Saga uh, is the most amazing dramatic comic I've ever read. Saga is so fucking good, guys. <laughs> I miss Saga so much. It's been on a year-long hiatus, and I'm just like, I need more Saga. <laughs> um, where was I? Oh, yes. You can also find us on Facebook. We've got the Two True Freaks podcast page, and we've got the Two True Freaks Cantina, where you can just go hang out. And we are also on twitter the infamous cesspool known as twitter and who is the only man brave enough to to drive the the two true freaks vehicle through that bad neighborhood that's gene gene the podcasting machine we talk about you on our other podcast gene (laughs) we talk shit about you gene we don't talk shit about you gene chris is a liar gene I don't know. You just have to tune in and find out, Gene. Oh, man, I still taste sweet potato. It's so weird. It's so good. It's like, but it's it's not like, it's not like savory potatoes. It's like candied yam sort of potato-y. Oh, it's delicious. Mm-hmm. So where can they find you? You can find me at J Guys and Jedi. I run our Twitter account. We're actually coming up on 400 followers, which is very exciting. Mm. You can also find me at Hope Molinex on Twitter. I also have my website, GeekyGirlExperience.com, which I've talked about already, where I have written reviews for every episode of Clone Wars. Oh, excuse me. I also recently wrote my Star Wars story as a goodbye to Clone Wars, because Clone Wars is so intricately tied to my Star Wars story. So you can see all that. We also have a Patreon-exclusive podcast over on GeekyGirlExperience.com called Hope Makes Chris Watch Cartoons. I'm currently making Chris watch Gravity Falls, and we're having a really good time doing it. I'm going to be watching an episode later tonight. Yeah, yeah, I'm excited. I'm interested to see what you think of this episode. So, um, And I also write fan fiction over on Archive of Our Own under the name Chaos Lydia, and I have a slew of Star Wars fan fiction if you want to read some of that. And, yeah, that's about it. Um, I, I have been doing a YouTube channel. I did instant reactions for the last four episodes of, of Clone Wars for the Siege of Mandalore arc, where I cried a lot and screamed. Um, and I will be starting by the time this comes out, but I'm going to also be doing instant reactions for the final season of She-Ra. So if you want to hear me scream and cry about She-Ra, I'd probably, probably freak out a lot because... I need Entrapped Deck to be okay because I ship Entrapped on Hordak so much, and I need them to be okay. And they were lab partners, Chris. You don't know. Okay. It, I have no idea what you're talking about. I this know you like don't have babble. any idea what I'm talking about, but I, they were lab partners, and I'm not okay. We'll get there eventually in in our other show. So. But yeah, uh, so you can see me on YouTube now as well. I've been making videos, so. Yay! Well, next week we're gonna wrap up the other half with a puppy with In the Name of the Rebellion Part 2. I, I predict Saw's a prick in it. I, I, I don't do remember think. much about it, but I'm, that's my prediction. I know that there's a kyber crystal, and that's a major plot point. Um, I I, I, Isn't this the one? Doesn't Saw like pee on it or something like that? He does something like that. 
I know at tells one point, it it's stupid or something like that. I, I know at one point he stuns Ezra because I have a beautiful screenshot of Ezra just glowing blue while Sabine's not looking at him. <laughs> I, I, I just happened to pause it at the right spot. It's just Ezra glowing blue. And you're like, screenshot. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. It was so funny. Yeah. He's just glowing because he's getting hit with a blaster bolt. So, <laughs> um, but I, I honestly don't remember much of this episode. So it'll be interesting to get back into it. So... Oh, Rebels is almost done. Yep. Yeah. Don't forget to check out Butcho and Robbie over at Sin and the Clones and hearing us over there talk about Clone Wars Season 7 if you want to hear our thoughts on it. So. Yep, and we, we, we're, we're planning and scheming to, to, to lure them into podcasting when we start our Season 7, seven coverage. Yeah, so. All right, guys, we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Visit our website at twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is always spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. You can email Two True Freaks directly at twotruefreaks at gmail.com. Two True Freaks and all of its excellent affiliates are available on iTunes, and you can choose to subscribe to either the entire network if you wish, or pick whichever individual shows you want to follow. We have so many shows to choose from, there's just bound to be one that appeals to your particular fandom. Just search Two True Freaks with an exclamation mark at the end, space, and the number two. You can find Two True Freaks on Facebook. Just search for Two True Freaks. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? If you've enjoyed our show, please, won't you take a moment to rate us on iTunes? That helps others find the show, too. Thanks for listening. And join us every Monday for new episodes of Two True Freaks. Um, I got it in the tip of my tongue. Come on. Um, oh, golly, I'm not even... Let me see. Oh! Alexander Dumbass! <laughs> <laughs> oh, Henry Dumbass!